welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. All right, so week three of Prepared, focusing on the same passage, you're kind of becoming familiar with the passage a bit, where you kind of sounds all familiar. Hopefully the message is becoming more evident as you hear it. This is the close of the letter to the church in Ephesus. There's only six chapters in Ephesians, and we're near the end of that sixth chapter. And we're to remember as we dive into this passage and continue to wrestle with it that Paul is trying to lift up the truth about what's happening in the world around us, that the church has a new calling, a new presence of the reign of God, And that our struggle in this world is not with human beings. It's not with people. Rather, he says, it's rulers, authorities, cosmic darkness, doesn't that sound fun, and spiritual powers of the air. We've just been referring to them as the powers. It's a mouthful. So the powers, the influence, which stirs us sometimes to do things we wouldn't normally do, that takes entire groups of people and moves them in directions they wouldn't normally go. The temptation and desire for power itself against other human beings. This is the work of the powers. So Paul offers an ancient image, the armor of God from the prophets, but he reworks it. Instead of this ancient image from Isaiah and other prophets, he gives them a symbol that they would know very well, which is a Roman soldier. And he breaks down the armor that way. It was, after all, Rome who stood as the contrasting power of God in Paul's day. It was Caesar who was demanding to be called Lord. They would say when you'd greet each other, Caesar is Lord. Does that sound familiar? Well, that's because the Christians commandeered the language. It was Caesar who was called Prince of Peace and Son of God first. People of Rome had these titles and the Christian people stole them. Because the message they bring is not only that Jesus is Lord, but by saying that phrase, you're also saying, not Caesar. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's a weird message. Because understand, in their day, Caesar had killed Jesus on the crucifixion cross. They were worshiping, as far as the world knew, a dead, defeated king. It's kind of weird if we think about it. We worship a king whom we don't see, and claim that he has power over leaders and the things that we do see. You could see why you have to have a strong faith to take a stand, particularly in Paul's day, to use these phrases in a way that's kind of backhanded to the power of the day. If I stood up and I said, from now on, our church is going to say, I pledge allegiance to God alone, you'd kind of be like, ooh, can we use a different phrase, because we use that a reverent way, and I, something doesn't feel right about that. So you could see why if the Christians of the day were using terminology and phrases and images that belonged to Caesar, when Caesar's still on the throne, it would, you'd have to draw strength from somewhere to stand up and be firm. You could see why the armor of God would be a great source of comfort and strength and guidance. You with me? So the belt of truth was our week one. The breastplate of justice was week two. And today we talk about the shoes of the gospel of peace. 
So we're going to talk about a couple of words that are Roman words that were commandeered. One is gospel. The word gospel itself means good news. It comes from a word. Evangelion, it's where we get our word. Evangelical, evangelize, all comes from this word. It's a Roman word. Good news, gospel, means a particular type of good news. So the way that it worked in Rome's day, Rome believed in redemptive violence. What that means is if something's not going Rome's way, well, then they use violence to solve the problem. It would be through violence that their victories would come, that the expansion of the Roman Empire would, would happen. And they said that their violence brought peace, Pax Romana, Roman peace, peace through the sword. That was the way it was done. So when they expanded the empire and they came across a group of people who said, we don't want to regard Caesar as Lord and we don't want to give you all our stuff, Rome interpreted that as a threat, wiped them out, claimed the land for themselves, and then spread the good news to the rest of the empire about Rome's latest victory for peace. With every victory, good news would be sent and it would be mean the slaughter of some people. Good news meant the growing presence of Roman peace through domination. There are some monuments from Paul's and Jesus' day that I'll show you here. There are a couple temples of peace. So the altar of peace of Caesar Augustus is the first one. And that is one you can visit today. Caesar Augustus was the Caesar prior to Jesus. And this was his altar of peace for Rome. And then in the 60s, the Jewish people rose up in revolt against Rome, went to war. Rome did what they did and wiped them all out, crushed the temple, devastated the people. And Vespasian, the Caesar of the time, a few years later, built the Temple of Peace in commemoration of the slaughter of the Jews. You can still see it today. It looks more like that. This was Roman idea of peace, peace through violence, right in the yards of the Christians of the days we're reading of. The followers of Jesus announced a different kind of peace through a different kind of king and Lord, a different kind of peace. God's peace is our focus today. And the question is then, what is peace according to God? If it's not Roman peace of redemptive violence, then what is it? Well, in Scripture, there are a couple of words. In our Old Testament Hebrew and in our New Testament Greek, you've heard the word shalom. That's Hebrew for peace. And did anyone have an Aunt Irene, a cousin Irene, no one Irene? All right, well, Irene is the Greek word for peace, and that's where the name comes from. There was a word for rest in Scripture that means lack of conflict. Peace is not that. There was a word for that. It wasn't shalom or Irene. Shalom doesn't mean the lack of anything. It means the presence of something. And and basically three things that it means the presence of. Prosperity, right relationship, and wholeness. Sounds pretty good. I like God's peace. Irene picks up the same idea. The New Testament writers present the good news of peace, not through Caesar, but through Jesus. It's Jesus who announces in the Gospels multiple times, the reign of God's peace is at hand. Reorient yourself and believe the good news. That would strike the ears of people a little strange. It's different good news than they're used to hearing. But again and again, the New Testament writers present this. 
They do not directly condemn Rome's peace, but instead they offer the alternative way of Jesus, this alternative way which isn't about violence and domination. It's about peacemaking, enemy-loving, non-retaliation, rebuking and rejecting violence at all costs. And if there is persecution, persevering, not seeking it out, but persevering if it comes. The disciples wrestle with this new idea of peace throughout the narrative, and if we're honest, we wrestle with it too, because the powers have a different idea. The powers want us to aspire for greatness like the disciples did. They wanted to see to the right and left of Jesus. They wanted to be powerful in the coming of God's reign, and Jesus constantly said, guys, no. (laughs) You want to be the greatest? Be the least. You want to be first? Be the last. God's kingdom, God's peace is completely upside down and backward and frankly, weird. Similar language is used. We're using all the same words, but it's in a different way. Paul's letter to the Romans, he ends with this benediction. He says, the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. Now, you might be picturing some mighty warrior stomping on the head of a snake. That's an image often given. But what Paul has been trying to say and continues to say is that Satan is crushed by peacemaking. That's how Satan's crushed. The powers lose their power when we stop playing their game, when we refuse to give in to the myth of redemptive violence, that if we just use violence one more time, we'll have peace. When we refuse to play by the power's rules, they have no power. When no one's following the powers, they are defeated. Making peace defeats the powers. God's peace unites divided and alienated people, groups and individuals. God's peace brings together into a prosperous relationship where there will be wholeness. Are you in right relationship with everyone in your life? And those of you, those situations, relationships where there isn't right relationship, you can feel the lack of wholeness. Amen? And when things are good, when you are in right relationship, you know the wholeness to which it speaks, the prosperity. Paul lifts up the idea of God's peace in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, and in this letter to Ephesians, that God's peace is the new way we are called to live. Jesus went to the cross and endured all the violence and persecution the powers presented And the powers presented them by the face of Rome and Pilate, by the face of kings and rulers and King Herod, by the face of corrupted religion and the Sanhedrin and the priests. Jesus responded not, not in the way of worldly power or peace. Instead, he responded like Proverbs 17. It says, the wise one seeks to end conflict before it begins and will not return evil for evil but it seeks the welfare even of one's own enemies. Ecclesiastes suggests that wisdom is better than might, better than the weapon of war. The letter of James in the New Testament picks that up when it speaks directly against war and violence. Jesus acted in the wisdom of God upon the cross, never responding with retaliation, violence, hatred. Instead, he responded with peace, love, forgiveness, endurance. He responded in such a way that the lie of the powers was fully exposed. Because 
how can you blame a man who's dying on the cross, forgiving the people who put him up there and saying they don't even know what they're doing? Forgive them. The powers had no victory that day. That's what the early church knew. That's why they're worshiping a defeated king because the only defeat that took place was God's victory over the powers. Jesus won our victory that we can live into the way of God's peace, right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. We can become peacemakers and become children of God ourselves, a brother, Christ on our side. So what's this mean for us? It's great biblical language, great churchy, it sounds good, right? So what do we do with this? What's this look like? We're called to live in peace with everyone. Yeah, even that person you're thinking of. Everyone. Because our struggle is not with people. It's with powers. Learning to see the world through this truth, it takes practice. Because if you're like me, you've developed a long habit of seeing the world through the lens of the powers. It takes practice to undo that. Learning to look at human beings, especially ones you don't know or don't like, who are wearing the wrong hat or shirt or whatever it is, to look at them as children of God takes practice. Approaching our relationships as gifts from God, even the bad ones, it takes practice. Recognizing that conflict before it happens, recognizing it, seeing it, it takes practice. We have to develop this tool. Not responding in retaliation takes practice. This kind of life requires us to pray, as Paul says, a lot. Prayers where we make requests of God have their place. But we should spend the equal amount of time asking, God, what would you request of me? Where is it that you need me to be more like you want me to be? Confessing where we're struggling is important. Find somebody to confess with. Saying it out loud, voicing it, even if it's just in prayer. Taking the time necessary to acknowledge your shortcomings, to acknowledge your struggle, and ask God to help you respond to it in a way that's not retaliation, it's not violence, it's not hatred, it's not divisive. You're going to need God's help. Our work in this world, in our lives, is to see the world around us as God sees it, to see people as God sees them, to recognize powers and how they work. Our charge as disciples is to live wisely as Christ did, as peacemakers, as enemy lovers, as rebukers of violence at all costs, as people of perseverance when we experience persecution, as cross-bearers, as evil exposers. When someone wrongs you, pray for their well-being. When someone harms you, take time to recognize that they too are a child of God. They just may not know it yet. They may not know what they're doing. Now, I want to stress this point. This does not mean you can't draw good boundaries. Good boundaries are important. Putting yourself in harm's way is not a necessity of peace. If harm comes and there's nothing you can do about it, then respond peaceably. If you can avoid the harm, do it. Some relationships can't be fixed. This doesn't mean you have to stay in it and endure abuse. Instead, you honor your humanity and your dignity by creating safe space, and you also honor the other person's humanity and dignity, praying for God to help them and to help you. You can love someone, and you can honor them 
and also fulfill their desire to not be in relationship in, in the right way and provide the space necessary. If you live rightly, if you live peaceably, you're doing everything in your power to create a space where right relationship can happen, but it takes two people to do it. Amen? If you need to create space in a relationship, create it. And ask God to guide you. Ask your church to walk with you and help you. It's complicated stuff. It's messy. Every situation's different. We're going to second guess every step of the way, but that's why we have each other. If you need to separate yourself physically, do it. If you need to disassociate on social media and stop seeing whatever it is that person or that group is saying, then do that for your own sanity. Do it. But do it so you can work on your own healing, so that you can work on seeing them with love. Do it as an act of God's peace, not as in spite. And pray, 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 and friends, pray some more. We have all the power to live as people who wear the shoes of the gospel of peace. Amen? We have the Holy Spirit, God's power, who guides us in the way of peace if we truly seek to go that way. If you make a regular practice of naming people, human beings, especially the ones you struggle with, you can name them as children of God, created in sacred image bearers. Your life will change. Your relationships will change. Your anger and your desire to fight and your will to win will dissipate and you'll be free. Instead, you'll prosper in your relationships and you will experience wholeness like you can't believe. You'll live into the way of peace and become the source of God's peace coming into the world with the shoes on your feet. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, friends. Let your shoes be the means through which the good news of God's peace is made known to the world. Amen. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 